Welcome to Feeding the Flock and our expositions through the book of Revelation. We are currently in chapter 5 at verse 1. Hello, I'm Glendale Tony. I'm glad you joined me today for this Bible study. Let's begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 5, why don't we? In the book of Revelation, where it says this. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. Then I began to weep greatly, because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw, between the throne with the four living creatures, and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So we find here that this is a part of the heavenly scene that John is describing since chapter 4 and uh, the first several verses there, especially verse 2 says immediately, he says, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. And he goes through that and describes that and because John has now been uplifted. He's been, he's been carried away or taken away into uh, heaven, into the very throne room, you might say. And uh, that's exactly what he sees. And uh, the person that he sees seated on that throne is uh, the one that we would uh, normally identify as God the Father. It's the same person or personage, uh, you might call that, uh, in Daniel chapter 7. Daniel describes one uh, with the name the Ancient of Days. In uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 9, he, he, Daniel says, I kept looking until thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was uh, like uh, white snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. So Daniel sees this same person, this same throne you room, you might say, with a little bit of a different uh, description because maybe other things took his attention. But in, in this case, as we get to chapter 5, we've talked about the throne and uh, that throne room, but now we want to talk about this scroll or this book in the English translation that I have, the New American Standard, translates the word book. Uh, the, the word itself happens to be uh, the Greek word, uh, biblion, uh, from which we even get our, our word Bible. And that's the reason why we call it the Bible. It is the Holy Bible, and it is the Holy Book. But uh, 
in that day and in that particular culture, uh, they didn't have bound books with pages. They had rolls uh, of, uh, of book, and it was a scroll. And, and uh, much of the time, the scroll was sealed so that uh, uh, the contents could be opened only by those who had the authority to break the seal. But uh, in the meantime, it says there, that, uh, that this scroll or this book was written on the inside and on the back. This was a little unusual. It wasn't uh, completely unheard of, but uh, uh, most of the time the, the book or the scroll uh, uh, was commonly called an epistograph, and it was uh, papyri uh, pressed together, two layers uh, with the grain uh, 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 against each other. In other words, uh, uh, one was uh, horizontal and the other was vertical as far as the grain of the of the papyri were concerned. And so uh, it made it strong. And for the most part, uh, the contents were written on the on the uh, inside. But uh, uh, for some important documents, uh, especially those that were sealed, uh, there was some writing on the other side, perhaps because the content uh, was uh, uh, too much for uh, merely one side of the scroll. And so so they had to uh, continue on. Other times, it had to do with with uh, giving instructions or giving a uh, an identification of what this scroll might contain uh, if someone did break the seal and look inside. Uh, so. Um, What's interesting is there there is, of course, uh, another little book that comes up later in chapter 10 um, uh, in verses 1 and 2. It is called a little book. It's not, it's not this particular one, but it shows that there is something to be said for the fact that there were things supposedly written down in heaven in some sort of document kind of storage, and we don't know exactly what that meant, but uh, uh, that that's the way David. Uh, that I'm, I'm sorry. That's the way John describes it, and um, it is sealed up with seven seals, and it's written on the front and on the back, both. Um, uh, most of the time, like an important document, like a mortgage or a will, um, especially the. Uh, uh, those documents that had to do with the redemption of property in the Jewish culture. That redemption of property was a very important transaction. And, um, uh, that meant uh, that the private information was inside, but the outside offered the public terms of what it would take for a close relative to purchase this property and bring the property back into possession of the person that uh, that owned it to begin with, or the family that owned it, the tribe that owned it. And so uh, this was a, a, a transaction that was very important for the Jewish people. And um, it, the way that that this is all described here is so closely associated with that kind of a translation. Um, and that, I'm sorry, transaction. And that's what I meant to say. In Leviticus chapter 25, verses 23 through 25, it talks about this. It says, the land moreover shall not be sold permanently for the land is mine. This is God's land. The nation of Israel is God's land and he gives it to whom he will, and anybody else only takes possession of it on a temporary 
temporary uh, basis, not permanently. Um, he says, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. And verse 24 of Leviticus 25, it says, thus for every piece of, pro- of your property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what is what his relative has sold. So this is what's called the kinsman redeemer uh, from a land purchase or a land repurchase so that the original tribe or the original uh, uh, person can get it back again. And so those documents were sealed except for the terms uh, by which uh, that property could be redeemed. And so that meant that only someone who was qualified could break the seal and open the document and begin the transaction process. And so uh, uh, in this particular case, there were seven seals. And he says, I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy uh, to open the book and to break its seals. Notice there is this general invitation out there. This is a strong angel, and he has a, uh, a loud voice, evidently, uh, because uh, the Greek word is, uh, there are two Greek words, in fact, to describe this. It is phone megale, and it if you put those two syllables together or two those those two words together, uh, we get our English word megaphone. And so this this angel's voice was like a megaphone to make an announcement to all of heaven and all of the universe, to all of mankind and anybody else of giving this invitation who is worthy. And this isn't uh, um, just about who is holy enough. This is about who is qualified to break these particular seals because this means the transaction of the repurchase of property uh, back to its proper ownership again. And uh, that meant a certain qualification. It meant a kinsman redeemer. That means he had to be a relative, a close relative. He had to have the means in order to to have uh, 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 to purchase this property to pay the price and he had to be willing and uh, otherwise uh, having uh, um, uh, the close proximity as far as his uh, family lineage is concerned or having uh, having all the wealth in the world to buy the property if he, if he wasn't willing to give the sacrifice and to give give the, the purchase price uh, then uh, then it wouldn't be a transaction so so that's what's uh, fascinating about this whole thing that's going on because there is this general invitation. He says, and no one, verse 3, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or to look into it. No one was even allowed to investigate, much less break the seals uh, until the right qualified person could come along and no one was there. The universe of of uh, all the human beings and all the angelic creatures and all the other things, no one was qualified to do this particular uh, transaction, to open these seals and begin the process of repurchasing property that had been lost. And so uh, that's what's going on. 
on here. He says, and John knows. This is emotional for John. Look at this in verse 4. Then I began to weep greatly. This means a wailing. This means uh, that not only did he did he cry, but, it, but this was an open emotional uh, upheaval for him, and it keeps on going. And he says, uh, because no one was found worthy to open the book. Evidently, John understood the value of what this book represented, what this scroll and its seven seals represented, and uh, it just wasn't there. You see, you need to go back and understand something about the drama here, and you got to go back all the way to where the property was lost. And that happens to be in Genesis uh, chapter 2, uh, uh, where the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, again, this is Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. It says, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for in the day you eat from it, you shall surely die. That word surely die means it's a participle. It means dying you shall die. It refers to a double death, so to speak. There was double jeopardy in this particular case, both spiritually and physically, if Adam and Eve eat of this particular tree. And of course, we know by reading the narrative of Genesis, that is exactly what happened. And when they did so, they were following the word, not the word of God. They were following the words of the a serpent, of, of uh, the snake in the tree, so to speak. And that's exactly who they were following. And because they followed his words rather than God's words, then you see that meant a certain kind of surrender of the property over to a new owner. Well, we'll be back right after this break. we find here is that uh, since God had given his, uh, his designed creation over to the control of Adam and Eve as, as the head of that creation to cultivate it and work it and, uh, and to be their domain, then you see by their act of disobedience, uh, which uh, really was not that much more than just an act of independence and that action of independence from God and from his word and instead following the word of the tempter, capital T, then, then you see that functioned, practically speaking, to a surrender of their domain over into uh, the serpent's control so that the serpent then began to um, to operate uh, as that domain as being his. Now, 
That doesn't mean God has uh, God has lost His sovereignty, but uh, or His power or His omniscience. Uh, you can see that all th- all the way through this chapter and all the way through the Bible. In in fact, and yet on the other hand, there is this sense in which uh, God has been working to bring about a redemption of what uh, Adam and Eve has surrendered to the serpent in a practical, very earthly sort of way. This spiritual way, this unseen realm of things has now taken over and has now competed with the work of God on earth and with the human beings on earth. And so God says in uh, Genesis chapter 3, he gives the ultimatum as well as some of the terms and some of the, uh, the, the part of the covenant that now is going to be initiated that is completely changed from the innocent garden now has become a corrupted earth uh, because of what has happened. So he says then, God doesn't just leave this as it is. He could have. He could have just walked away, so to speak. He could have just turned his back, or he could have just created a huge explosion and started all over again. Uh, but uh, but he did not. He um, considered his own design to be of certain value and uh, of the whole um, the whole. Um, uh, uh, part of what he has done has put into motion that he wants to continue so that there is now going to be a redemption uh, rather than a destruction. And um, uh, look at this when it says in Genesis chapter 3, uh, God is speaking to the serpent who evidently is, is because of the uh, actions of Adam and Eve, he is now in control, so to speak. But God wants him to know that his control is only limited and it's only temporary because it's, it says in verse 14, he says, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and on dust you will eat all the days of your life. Then in verse 15, he, he is still speaking to the serpent, but he's, he speaks in more general terms about humanity. Look at what he says. And I will put enmity between you, that is the serpent, and the woman. That means uh, not just Eve herself as an individual woman, but womanhood, because look at what he says. And between your seed and her seed. Uh, And he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. Now, God is already promising, you see, in this little nugget of a verse, he is giving us a promise of a redeemer. That redeemer is going to come through a woman, through the womb of a woman. But look, it says between her seed. And if you look at the biblical uh, uh, description and the the kind of uh, nomenclature the Bible uses, it's not it's not uh, uh, technical uh, language, it, but it is uh, simplified language that, that means that uh, the woman usually doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. The woman carries the egg. Uh, and uh, that's simple biology. And yet God promises this redeemer coming through a woman and uh, uh, without uh, evidently without any aid from a man and that is a reference uh, that we now know uh, much much later we now know that's a reference to the virgin birth and God is promising that Prom- uh, he is promising that that uh, 
all the followers of the serpent, all the followers of Satan uh, will uh, pull out all the stops, so to speak, but God is going to send his Redeemer through the womb of a woman uh, without the aid of a man, and uh, it says, he shall bruise you on the head. He will have victory. He will pay the price, and he will uh, show you who is ultimately in power. And he says, even though you will bruise him on the heel, and of course, we know by um, by the history and by the biblical story that we can look at uh, ourselves and examine. That is exactly what happened. The Messiah came through the virgin birth into the human family, and he went to the cross. And on the cross, that is where the serpent bruised the Messiah, bruised the Redeemer. And yet the Redeemer is victorious. Why? Because he rose from the grave. Death could not hold him, and uh, and he is resurrected, and not only is he resurrected, but he is ascended back to the Father, and uh, this is this transaction now between the Son, uh, the Son of Man, who is also the Son of God, the Messiah, the Redeemer, uh, the, the, uh, the kinsman Redeemer. Why? Because he's human. He shares kinship with the, the, the human beings on earth, and yet he is God in heaven at the same time. And he has paid the price on earth in his own body and resurrected. And now he's ascended back to heaven. And John sees within his own lifetime, as John is taken to heaven, he sees this scene where this scroll is offered uh, to anyone, but no one is worthy except this one person in all the universe. You see, the universe doesn't have a design for itself. God has a design, and the universe doesn't give answers to humankind. It cannot. It is an inanimate uh, uh, series of of, uh, matter and energy and a lot of other things, but it cannot give us the answers. And no matter where we look in the universe, the only answer is that one person that currently is in heaven that is resurrected man and and also a, a glorified God the Son of God, and uh, that is Jesus Christ. So then uh, what uh, what happened in the Genesis is, is that God turned around later in Genesis chapter, uh, uh, later on in the same chapter, um, In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, he says, uh, he says, he drove man out. Uh, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, and he stationed a cherubim, that's a, an angelic form, and a flaming sword, so they couldn't get back into that same place at all, and they couldn't eat of the tree of life. Uh, but uh, look at what God did in the meantime in verse 21. says, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothe them. See the picture here? The Messiah has been promised, but now God is giving them a picture, a very clear illustration that innocent life had to be shed in order to to provide clothing for these sinners now. Blood shed for them so that they could be clothed and have fellowship with the Father again. That is a picture of what the Redeemer would do and what uh, this seed of a woman 
Son would do one day. And uh, that's exactly what we have in the Lord Jesus. And that is exactly what we have in this scene right here. And uh, that's the reason why one of the elders uh, tells John, stop weeping. Behold, The lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. So uh, it's interesting that uh, one of these elders actually relays this piece of information, that it's not left to an angel here. It is left to a fellow human being to inform John at this particular point, look, there is someone else on the scene now, not just on the throne. That's the Ancient of Days. Now this other person has stepped up, and uh, he is described in this way. He is from the, uh, he is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's a descendant from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Judah. And not only that, he's a descendant of David. And not only is that, he's the root of David. So he's both at the same time. Isn't that interesting? That uh, that he is he is both a branch out of David because he's a, he's a descendant of David, but he is also the root of David because the, he's the originator of the whole plan to begin with. And uh, what's interesting is that God has given us another picture, and that's a picture of Boaz and Ruth. And if you want to read the little book of Ruth, you will see Boaz functioning as that kinsman redeemer. He pays the price for the land to redeem the lamb back to Elimelech's name and also to purchase Ruth uh, and, and so that she becomes his bride and so that this deal is done uh, in such a fashion as the kinsman redeemer both was there he was qualified he had the wealth to do so and he had the willingness to do so and they went through a certain kind of transaction in that book it's all written out well that's exactly the transaction action that's going on here. This is the kinsman redeemer of all of humanity and he steps up and he is qualified. He's qualified from a godly standpoint, from an eternity standpoint. He is, uh, he is also qualified from an earthly standpoint. As far as his physical lineage is concerned, he is qualified to do this work. He has overcome so, so as to open the book and it's seven seals. This is what Jesus has whole career is all about is to uh, not only pay the price, which is finished. He doesn't have to repay the price, but there is a reclamation plan in store for the earth and for the rest of humanity. It says, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders of a lamb standing as if slain. So he's not only a lion, he's a lamb, you see. He's not only of earthly lineage, and kingly lineage and royal lineage, he is an innocent lamb, as if slain. Because why? Because he's already paid the price. And uh, John knows that. And he says he has seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. That means that that uh, Jesus represents and has the capacity of all the power of God, all the omniscience of God, all the omnipotence of God, all the uh, uh, all the omniscience and, and omnipotence and he can see all and it says 
he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He was qualified, and he he is about to break these seals. And by breaking these seals, he is making his reclamation on the earth. Now there's going to be judgment. There's going to be a purging. There's going to be a lot of things happen on the earth as he breaks these seals. But his ultimate goal, his ultimate uh, purpose, and his ultimate career is to reclaim all that has been lost uh, by sin and by the serpent, and uh, he is is now um, making his his domain to be known on the earth in opening this document. And uh, John gets to be a witness from heaven's portal. He can see it, and he can be there. And that's uh, that's where we uh, need to leave it for today. Thank you, Father, for these words of insight, these words that we we would never have put together all on our own. These uh, culminate a story that was begun thousands of years before, and uh, now we get to see these things come about in your word as a promise, as a as a. Uh, a plan as a strategy and uh, we just look to you for what that might mean for us that as we continue to see these things play out we would be strong in your truth in Jesus name amen I hope you enjoyed our presentation today this is Glendale Tony. Join us again for the next episode of Feeding the Flock.